This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, everyone? Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Dive Bomb Squadcast. I'm your host, Asher Tolliver. There are certain areas of hunting, specifically waterfowl hunting, that are extremely gray, where you can quickly end up on the wrong side of the law, even when you had no intention of doing anything legal. Today, we are going to talk about some basic situations you will encounter while in the field and how to play it safe. To help us with this, we are joined by Pennsylvania Game Warden, Mr. Mike Workman. Mike, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, for sure, man. I've been trying to get a Game Warden on this podcast for a long time, but every time we get close, it ends up getting axed by the agency. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. happy to finally get one of you guys on. We've got a, a tremendous amount of respect for what y'all do, the effort you put forth to protect these precious resources for generations to come. Let's get into this thing. Mike, first I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what ultimately led to a career in wildlife enforcement. Absolutely. So I grew up in uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, um, in a small town called Lidditz in Lancaster County. Um, didn't actually grow up hunting. My father um, kind of took me fishing. We were in the outdoors a lot, but didn't really hunt too much growing up. Um, actually got into it through, um, she was my girlfriend at the time, but then my future wife. Um, going to school, I actually went for business and sport management. So not really anything to do with you know, wildlife sciences, uh, environmental conservation, anything like that. Um, actually worked for quite a few years in the business sector for actually a few different professional football teams in the uh, customer service and business realm. And that kind of got me a good basis for um, customer service, for dealing with people, for learning to interact, communicate those things that are crucial for the current role that I'm in now. Um, kind of getting into my mid-20s, late-20s, um, really was getting a little sour in what I was doing, wanted to make a change. Um, like I said, I've been passionate for the outdoors, for hunting, for wildlife. Um, saw an opening with the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Um, got accepted into the 32nd class at the Ross Luffer School of Conservation, which is a, a year-long conservation school that's held in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, okay. um, which is known as, in my opinion, one of the best conservation schools in the country, um, one of the longest in length and most comprehensive when it comes to training, to schooling, um, not just for wildlife identification, but for law enforcement in general. I um, gra- graduated there, been out in the field. I'm going into my second year now um, up in the, the northeast region of Pennsylvania currently. Okay. You know, you talked about the program, and, you know, the one thing that goes through my head is most of the guys listen to this podcast. They are waterfowl hunters, but they're also general outdoorsmen that like to chase um, mm-hmm. whitetail or spring bear. They like to fish. They like to turkey hunt. And as hunters and outdoorsmen, we have the responsibility of knowing the regulations on the different species, uh, the fish on the different lakes and and well, Arkansas, WMAs, wildlife management areas that we hunt. Most of the guys, mm-hmm. they know that information. They're, they're, little, they're little honey holes. You know, the places they got in their backyard, the places that are in the, their wheelhouse, the places they frequent often. But you guys, you have to know 
all the speed you know I, what i'm thinking about right now in my head is these different lakes in arkansas because it's springtime i'm doing a lot of crappie fishing right so mm-hmm. there's some lakes that are you can keep any any size you want uh some lakes that have a 20 fish limit instead of a 30 fish limit there's some lakes that any fish under 10 inches it's got to be thrown back immediately whereas the next lake right across the way you might be able to keep any size and keep 30 whereas the other one you you know you catch Mm -hmm. a nine inch fish you better throw it back so what i'm getting at is all these different areas management areas have different regulations and they have different regulations for different species man that is a lot to keep up with do you ever have to if you're planning on and this will take me into my next question about your you know your days and and your enforcement area but are there times that maybe you've got a plan for an area that you're going to work and you might need to get a little check up with the state handbook just because there's so much uh variance between different areas or do you pretty much have that stuff down pat for your area no absolutely i i take no shame in constantly checking up on uh, the rules and regulations because like you said especially in the state of pennsylvania things are are changing constantly now there's certain things that stay the same year after year but when you're looking at certain you know bag limits for things or um yeah season lengths and dates especially those things um no i I try to check it constantly i try to be in my law book all the time um i think that's the the rule of a good game one if you're on your toes with all the rules and regs Uh, obviously nobody's going to be perfect you know i'm going to make mistakes just like the next guy and i try to just come into each situation with respect and and the, the best knowledge that i can bring that day and if I make a mistake, I own up to that. But um, I find that a lot of the, the sportsmen, in, at least in Pennsylvania, are, are very knowledgeable. They usually always know what's going on, you know, as far as what's allowed, what's not allowed. Um, something that's unique to our state is we actually have two separate agencies, so the Fish and Boat Commission. Okay. And they do all fish uh, enforcement. Ah. And then the, uh, the Pennsylvania Game Commission, we do all uh, all game enforcement. So we're one of the only states left. Uh, I don't know offhand what other states. I know there's a few that actually have our wildlife agencies separated. So that at least does give me a little bit of a, an edge on some other states where I don't have to worry about the fish That's enforcement. True. Gotcha. There's a whole whole other agency, all other guys that do all that thing. Now I still have enforcement powers when it comes to that, and we just had our spring spring trout opener here up in Pennsylvania. So I like to get out and get get into it with you know other uh, other fishermen to see what they're catching, um, check the local honey hole stuff like that. I love doing that because sure. I I'm an avid fisherman myself. But that is a nice thing that does give me a little bit of an advantage, um, only having to worry about the game side. Yeah, I know our AGFC, our Arkansas Game and Fish here. They, um, you know, they're doing, uh, they're they're on the water as well, and not just fish, but uh, general boat mm-hmm. regulations. You know, in the summertime, checking people, uh, just yep. random st- stops on the lake, make sure everybody's staying safe. Uh, kids have life jackets, um, uh, drinking. You know, checking uh, boaters, make sure they're not intoxicated. All that's good stuff. So. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool that you guys have two different agencies. Now I know, you know, here in Arkansas, you 
when you see them enough, you kind of get used to the, seeing uh, what the, the, their trucks look like. The, you know, the boats, like typically you'll see like a little T-top on the lake, which is not real common on our lake. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you see a little T-top, you, you know, typically, you know, it's a game more. Now, during duck season, I, I think they were in War Eagle boats um, and Evan Rudy text. You kind of get used to a look when you see them enough. Not that it, that's a bad thing. It's just you get used to what their trucks look like, their boats. Do you guys, they, what they wear, our guys wear green. Um, yeah. do, do you guys, are you provided a, a truck, a boat? Um, tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we are um, actually stationed out of our, our home offices in the uh, the counties and the regions where we live. Um, now we are dispatched out of a certain area, but you know everything that I have is stationed out of my house. Um, okay. So I, I am provided with a, a work truck as well as a boat to patrol on. Um, so pretty much every day, you know, I'll start at my home office, but then I'll go out in the, the patrol vehicle, um, the, uh, the Silverado, and we'll just kind of hit the road, get to the different game lands or private lands where I want to hit that day. Um, but they are pretty good about enabling us, giving us the tools, the equipment. Um, it certainly is a lot to, to store. So depending on where you live, in certain areas of Pennsylvania, you know, if you're near Philly or Pittsburgh, um, you know, that would be a challenge because we have uh, all sorts of things from, you know, a bear trap from, like I said, the boat to our work truck. So it certainly is a, an equipment heavy role, um, but our agency is excellent at equipping us and giving us the tools that we need because uh, you never know what you're going to encounter when you head out for the day. That's for sure. Certainly. Now going to head out for the day, are you assigned to a county? Do you have a general plan that's given to you as far as an enforcement area how do you, how do you determine where you're gonna work that day or what areas you're gonna work that day is that just you wake up and you say this is where i'm gonna go or do you have some sort of assignment yeah so i, I am assigned a specific uh, county area so that would be Northumberland county here up in the northeast region um but we certainly are not pigeonholed into that at all um so we are given um given calls and a lot of what my day is depending on the time of year is going to be called driven so whether that's something from uh, a nuisance wildlife complaint such as a skunk in the lady's backyard or it could be um, you know a, a poaching trespassing call um you know late at night in deer season um or the open day of waterfowl or whatever have you it's all um, for the most part, our role is call-driven, um, and if, if you're not getting those calls or if you're in an area where there aren't quite as many calls where the public is reaching out to us asking for assistance, that's where we'll go out uh, and be proactive um, in our patrols, in our checks of hunters or just checks of areas. Um, there's a lot of days that I spend just doing maintenance on our acres of game lands that we have. So in our specific area where I live in the Northeast region, like I told you before, we have a lot of state game lands. and um, there's so many access gates, parking lots, um, other areas that I need to make sure are maintained, that are protected, that no one's, you know, dumping trash, uh, all sorts of other things like that that are vital and really important to help keeping those lands um, clean, healthy, and open for all kind of hunters. Certainly. What are your hours? What, what does your schedule look like? So the, the beauty of our role, and um, at least currently, and may change in the future, is I really make my own hours. Um, okay. I can start and end whenever I want. Um, I need to put in a minimum of five hours a day, hit that 40 hours a week. Um, obviously, 
it's uh, not quite 40 hours a week when it comes to September through January and during our main hunting seasons. I'll put in, you know, anywhere upwards of 80 to 100 hours a week, sure. you know, something a lot, a lot heavier. But, um, no, I can pretty much start and end whenever I want. Um, I like to let the seasons and the months of the year dictate when I work and how long I work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially, like I said, coming up, we have our spring gobbler season in May here. Um, so I'll work much earlier hours. Um, we have uh, for the first half of the year in May, uh, the first half of the month in May for our turkey season, you can only be in the woods till 12. Uh, you have to finish everything up and be out by one. So, you know, typically I won't be out patrolling during turkey season the first half of the month, you know, after two, three o'clock, mm-hmm. just because the hunters legally have to be out by then. But then I'll adjust my hours to work and be out there the full day when they're out there. So I really like to let the seasons, um, you know, whatever game is in to really dictate my hours. Um, and then that's nice too, because even though I do work most every weekend, I have a day off during the week or have a day or two off during the week, which kind of lets me uh, sure. get my personal things done. So it, it certainly works out. The flexibility is very nice to be able to have a, have a family, have anybody else, if anybody's ever interested in it. I always preach that the flexibility is, is phenomenal. Sure. And I'm sure when you're out working, you can gather some pretty serious intel for personal information as far as hunting and your own, you know, going back to your schedule and maybe getting a few days off. There's some things that you might have seen or picked up on on some ground uh, that you might be able to apply in your personal time. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it certainly is a nice perk. I appreciate it, especially when it comes to deer season and turkey season because I'm always looking for another spot. Um, I'm blessed to be able to have some permissions and where I live on some private property, but um, there's a a state game line area near where I live that's um, around 10,000 acres, and to be able to have something that close to offer to the people and the residents of the county here where I live is, is phenomenal, so it's nice to have that opportunity for sure. You mentioned private property. When you guys come to a lot gate, do you have a key, some sort of, because I know we had a, there was a time we were in Texas this year and it was behind a lot gate and we got checked crane hunting. We've actually got it on a vlog. Game one was super cool, but he's like, man, I had hell getting through that gate. Do y'all have some sort of pick that you use? And if that doesn't work, I assume that you can, cut it i mean obviously if, if, if there's a call but i mean what do you do in that situation i guess do you have a device to get those locks open and if it is just a regular check and not a call and there is a lock gate what how do you approach that yeah so if it's just a regular check if there's no uh you know known violation going on i'm not going to go ahead and destroy a, you know a lock or a property like that i i personally don't have anything to to like cut a lock like that now i could easily get something because i have a lot of resources at my disposal um but unless there's something you know for instance life-threatening or um any other reason like that then absolutely we have the means and we'll do that but um typically at least in in our region of pennsylvania we have a lot of properties that are currently even though they're private open to public hunting we have what's called our hunter access program in the state of pennsylvania um, that a lot of uh, farmers, private property owners, uh, will open up their property to public hunting. Now they have some specific rules and regs that they need to do, um, but in my opinion, our state is one of the best in the nation for doing that. You know, kind of organization to work together between the private landowners and the public hunters because it's certainly cutthroat. 
um, as you probably are well aware in the whole country, just for, for hunting permissions and for, you know, the access that people are losing. So that's one thing that I help, I think helps mitigate that, you know, having for me personally work, having issues getting in on, on private property is that there already are a lot of people, at least in our area of the state that are open to it. They, they know what's going on. They're, they're helpful and they're willing to work with us, which is really what it all comes down to. Sounds like a great program. Mike, I want to go through some of the most common waterfowl issues we see discussed on social media, such as party hunting, pile picture, separating birds, donating birds, tagging and transportation, possession limit and processing. Those that follow our social media know we go on a lot of small numbers hunts, but we also go on plenty of big hunts with our outfitter friends in the industry where we put up huge numbers. So I want to start with party hunting. Are you ready? Absolutely. All right. I've got some thoughts I'd like to share if that's okay. And then I'll, I'm going to give you the microphone or the floor, sure. whatever you want to call it. There's plenty of solo hunters out there, but for the overwhelming majority, we are with our friends, family, club members, other acquaintances. The term party hunting and waterfowl, I believe is misunderstood. This is not a big game tag where someone lets another fill their tag for them. This is a group of hunters together that must be on the same page at when the shots are taken to maximize opportunity and not just opportunity but safety you always see these guys online pointing the finger at party hunting when you have these massive groups together but the i think they're only angry because they don't agree with that many people hunting together at one time but that doesn't change the fact that by their definition it doesn't matter if it's three guys or 30 guys it's all party hunting if you are shooting at the same time and can't perfectly identify what birds are yours nobody can stand the guy in the blind that claims all the birds and the fact is unless you are hunting solo or taking turns one at a time nobody can perfectly identify what birds are there if others were shooting at the same flock now i've heard people say They've said they've gotten tickets for it. I've never seen any proof of it. I grew up hunting the most pressured public ground on the planet here in Arkansas and have been checked party hunting no less than 100 times in my life. (laughs) Not once has it ever been brought up. Not to mention there's 100,000 videos on social media right now of what some would call party hunting. So I just want to give you the floor and hear about this from your side. Yeah, absolutely. So I can certainly only speak to at least kind of the party hunting that I see up in the Northeast region of Pennsylvania. It's absolutely something that happens and that is uh, permitted at least under our game and wildlife law. Um, as we kind of put it, there's even a specific section that's called hunting parties, you know, um, in our uh, digest that people can go and look up and it kind of tells you what it is defined as and that's really just you know whether it's waterfowl dove anything like that that they can hunt in a party of more than six persons um there's just two specific things that we list out that are important for that so they can do that for more than six um at least in the state of pennsylvania that is um as long as they're hunting from a blind or a stationary position okay so those are the two important things at least if you're going to be coming up hunting in the state of pennsylvania that you want to make sure that that's what you guys are doing um it's obviously well documented that a lot of guys when they're out hunting snow geese there's going to be more than six guys sure you know especially in our area where we see a big part of the migration um and it's totally fine and it's totally allowed under the law it's just important that you 
like I said, are either from a blind or stationary position. Now, obviously, you're most likely not going to be hunting snows, uh, you know, on the river here. So we are um, based along the Susquehanna River, um, the county that I live in. So you're not going to see a lot of that, but that's just a small designation that they put there to um, kind of to talk to the point that you spoke about, um, you know, knowing who shot what and not seeing anybody get cited for that in your hundred checks or whatever you said there. Um, I would a hundred percent agree with that. You know, that's not something that I don't think to my knowledge, any game warden in the state of Pennsylvania is going to go and, and give you a hard time about that. Um, we, are, a lot of us, like I said at the beginning, are, are hunters ourselves. We understand kind of how it works. Um, we just ask that you make a reasonable effort to, you know, go pick up your birds to have an understanding of who shot the bird mm-hmm. um, and then kind of make that separated. Now, you had mentioned about, um, you know, piles, things like that. You know, there's a lot of ways that hunters can um, – stay legal when it comes to that. I know a lot of people like to use the toe tags when they're, mm-hmm. they're taking stuff away from that. That's something I absolutely encourage. Um, you know, certainly try to do whatever you can to, to make sure you know which birds are yours and that you're staying with your birds. If you do those things, I would say 99% of the time you are going to be safe and legal, especially if you're in the area where I patrol. Because I try to be reasonable. I try to understand where hunters are coming from. Um, the areas where I see hunters get into more issues are kind of with more, I would say, license requirements, kind of uh, firearms issues, things of that nature. Um, I think I had mentioned it before our talk, but at least in the, the area, the region of Pennsylvania, we don't see as many issues with, with transporting because I'm more of the mm-hmm. center part of the state. Certainly that could be an issue with some of our counties in the New York border or, or Maryland or New Jersey state border. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say at least in my area, hunters are, are very well um, learned and respected when it comes to transporting, you know, what they need to do, things like sure. that. Um, I see at least for for waterfowl, for ducks and geese, um, like I said, more some of the license and, and firearms issues, and I'd sure. be happy to expand on that if you want. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, do you guys spend much time patrolling social media for wildlife violations? We actually have. Violations. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I personally don't spend a lot of time myself, but uh, quite often I am sent something from, um, we do have investigators that do that type of thing, uh, that monitor certain you know, forums, websites, things like that. Now that I'm not out, you know, just looking to, to nab every hunter who puts a, a photo on Instagram. Sure. Um, but I, I remind hunters when I'm out in the field that, hey, you know, when you're posting your um, your green pictures up there, that, you know, if, if you've got a violation going on, it could be sure. it could be an issue, you know. So um, it's not that difficult, in my opinion, especially for, for waterfowl hunting, to, to make sure you're legal when it comes to some of those things, you know. It's, it's pretty straightforward, at least in my opinion, in the state of Pennsylvania. Um, and if you ever have any questions, we always have um, the ability to answer them. So we have hunters call into our regional offices all the time that if they're not sure about something, um, we can always help clear that up and get them in touch with the, the regional or the district game warden that's in their area. Because as you said, there are different management units in the state of Pennsylvania. There's different limits when it comes to those areas, whether you're in the north zone or the south zone for our duck zones, or whether you're in the resident population or, you know, the Atlantic population for these, it's a dope differ. So that's why we like to get them in touch with somebody in their region, in their area. Um, because usually those guys in those areas will know the, the rules and regs best. Sure. Absolutely. I want to talk about pile pictures. You see the same 
party hunting guys get upset about pile pictures online and the ability to identify your exact birds. If, if everyone is present and the birds are lined up on a log or a tailgate for a picture, in your opinion, is there a problem with this? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to give anybody a hard time for that, if, especially as you, you made an important designation there, if everybody's present. Sure. Um, you know, obviously, if we're missing guys and, and I'm coming up and say, you know, hey, like I'm counting the birds, you know, one, two, three, and it looks like you're over that uh, possession limit, then we might have an issue, you know. But if, if everybody's there, if everybody can make, um, and I, I think I said it before, you know, a reasonable understanding of Certainly. these are their birds, you know, we're not going to go ahead and grind somebody for, you know, picking up they're not their teal or you know a different wood duck than right. than the one that they thought they shot now some guys are pretty good at especially if it's you know your banded bird you'll know that you know obviously that that's there so um but we're not going to be too too crazy when it comes to that and at least personally out the field when i work at i don't see too many issues when it comes to stuff like that yeah a few years ago i asked them Arkansas officer that same question he basically said the exact same thing he said man as long as everybody's present nobody's gonna bust your balls when you're trying to catch a memory to look back on he said just make sure as soon as you're finished separate them back out don't leave them in a pile you know again there's absolutely thousands of photos on social media but I do actually personally keep these mini colored zip ties that I'll put on the ankles of my birds when we're hunting with a really, really big group, just yeah. safe. I can't say I ever, there's a situation I ever felt like they saved me or I felt like I needed mm-hmm. them. But sometimes when you see online and we're, you know, out in Texas and there's 15 plus people, that is a situation that I actually, I've got a little box that, you know, for us dive bomb guys, I'll, I'll, um, you know, give them a little, tiny little blue one or a pink one or a red one and just say hey man when you put this thing behind your chair just slap this on its ankle that way you know we know we're feeling safe but it never needed it but do it anyway yeah i try to tell the guys when dealing with any type of law enforcement just be professional and respect the job they're trying to do nobody's out to get you if you're innocent it's whenever you act like a prick and you're blatantly breaking the law, that's when you're going to have problems. I mean, I cannot begin to tell you how many times I've been checked and how easy every experience has been. Well, but one. Mike, I travel all over North America for half the year. I've been hunting my entire life. I've gotten one ticket. You want to take a guess what it was for? No, I I can't imagine what it would be. (laughs) Last summer, Last summer, Cade, he works works for us at Dive Bomb. He does media with us. Cade and I went to a sandbar on the Arkansas River to take some product photos of the F1 Canada Goose Floaters. Yeah. And we're soaking up golden hour, literally mm-hmm. not another soul on the river. I kid you not. We're no more than a quarter mile from this boat launch. I've got a trolling motor on the front of my duck boat during the summer because I fish a lot. My trolling motor mm-hmm. covers the hole where my red green nav light supposed to go well we rode uh, back into this <laughs> ramp about five minutes after yeah. official sunset and guess who is waiting for us now keep in mind in my defense this is a perfectly sunny day there's not a cloud in the sky we all know you can see well past official sunset time a good 30 minutes it was nowhere near being dark where safety would be an issue and 
I got a ticket for Man. not having navigation lights. I was respectful because it, it was, it was past sunset and I know the law. I knew the law. I knew, I said, Hey, we need to, we need to get back. I didn't think in a million years, anybody would be sitting there, but uh, I did. I, I, I stated the obvious. I said, man, it's, it's not even dark. I was like, we're taking product pictures right there. Look at my record. Didn't matter, man. I took my ticket and um, he told me he could give me another ticket for the black numbers on my boat. Not contrasting enough with the camo paint job, but he would let it slide. And I told him, I said, man, I know that law as well, but it's never been a problem in the past. I was just thinking to myself, yeah. man, this guy would have a field day at any public boat ramp during duck season because nobody's running around with mm -hmm. white letters on their camo duck boat. That's absolutely ridiculous. But yeah. it is what it is, man. I paid it. Uh, I, kn I know the law. I knew I was late. Uh, it wasn't a safety issue. But you know what? That's okay. I've had nothing but absolutely great experiences all over the country with both federal and state officers it's but man that's my only freaking ticket that i've ever gotten that one that's I pretty good for uh, as far as mine as wide as you travel i'd say that's uh, that's pretty good yeah one ticket man let's talk about <clears throat> separating birds and and i think this one's critical guys if you're in the field boat truck side by side this is a great habit to practice it's also another one I've asked a lot of guys uh, about in many states and actually several provinces getting checked in Canada about. And honestly, most didn't really care uh, about the separation if the group total added up. But growing up in Arkansas, man, we always take extra precautions to keep piles clearly yeah. separated or each individual has their own loop on the the game strap because it's you hunt public land, especially busy, busy places, black swamp, biomeda. You pull up to the ramp, there there will be a game warden waiting there. And I there was a period for about ten years I was getting about forty days, you know, forty of sixty or forty five of sixty on public land and you know, that adds up. I mean you get you getting checked over half the time and so, you know, it's you learn. You learn where you need to be and at least with our Arkansas guys, but we always took extra, extra precaution stuff that other states, it seems like people haven't cared about as much. But, Mike, what do you like to see here when you're out checking waterfowl? Yes, absolutely. Some things that you already had mentioned is just doing your best to try to separate. Um, and it, it depends, too, on what you, your quarry is, what you guys are out chasing. You know, if, if you're just after a can of geese, you know, there's something that, you know, obviously everybody has the same daily bag limit, you know, whether it's eight, you know, or five or whatever it is, but it's important, especially when you're looking into ducks, um, you know, for the state of Pennsylvania, the pintail limit per day is one. Um, if I'm coming up and I'm seeing, you know, a couple of pintails stacked there, mm -hmm. you know, I, I really am going to want to know who shot all those pintails, sure. you know, or whether it's wood ducks or black ducks, what, you know, whatever it is. Um, so it definitely depends on what, you know, what they're hunting and, and where they're at and kind of how everything is when I kind of come upon them. But um, like you said, if you're, you know, straightforward, if you're honest, if you guys are showing me what you're doing and making it quick and easy for me, I'll get out of your air. I mean, I, I've even been out in the field and I've ducked down and let hunters, you know, shoot right in front of me because they got a good, a good group bombing in for them, you know? 
Um, so I'm not out there to, to stop or to interrupt anybody's hunt. Um, but if you can be separating those birds, especially if you're hunting ducks, mm-hmm. um, it's just going to make my check so much easier. So if I'm out on the river and I'm motoring up to your blind there, um, yeah, if you guys have everything separated already, it's going to make my check so much quicker, so much easier. We'll get in and out, and it'll be good. Um, you know, so that's what I recommend to guys when when you're out there. Um, I love the little trick that you just mentioned, the guys about the the zip ties, because when it comes to stuff like that, you know, if if there's something where you guys are really getting into, like I said, the the pintails or, or black ducks for some reason, you know, those limits are much smaller than the daily bag limit. Um, in, in my area, it's pretty difficult, depending on the time of year, to hit that six daily ducks um because for the most part you're only going to shoot your two mallards and your three wood ducks and you're going to come one short mm-hmm. and so if i'm out there and i'm checking you know obviously those are going to be most likely the ducks i'm going to see in my area now we get a lot of other stuff depending on the time of year but if you don't have your ducks separated or if everything's in a pile um now to be honest with you it, it's it's not something i see a ton um not that i'm not seeing a lot of successful duck hunters mm-hmm. um it's just that, like I said, a lot of guys have trouble getting up to those limits. or And that's just specific to my area. Now, other areas in the state and game wardens could see other things, but just as a general rule, keeping it separated is going to make it much easier on us. And these things are, they're on Amazon. There's like 10 different colors. They're like four-inch zip ties. You can get them for like $15. It's a great, I think mm-hmm. it's a great thing to have. It's always best best to be safe um it's, it's just a, it's a super easy deal you bring a bird back you got this one hey that one's yours that's going in your pile and throw that little zip tie on and then when you do if you do put it in a pile picture and if for some reason somebody walks off or other people are in a situation where you're getting checked and something's not adding up i mean not to say you want to throw anybody else under the bus but if you've got zip ties on your birds and you can say these are mine uh, nobody can point the finger at you. So I think absolutely practice, man, I almost got, almost got in trouble about, well, I don't know. It was a long time ago. I was probably 18 or 19 years old and we were hunting two groups at Biomeda and you can only kill three mallards there. And we had two different boats. Well, my buddy, he wanted to take pictures of them on the front of the boat while the boat was still in the water. So we were pulling up our boat at the ramp at the exact same time as our buddies. Well, he gets, there's two of them in the other boat and there was two of us in, um, in our boat. So he took their six birds and he's lining them up on the rail of the boat to take a picture. Well, they ended up pulling forward about 75 ish yards in the parking lot to, to do all their straps and stuff, you know, and unload everything. Well, Mm -hmm. while he's got them on the front, taking the pictures, the game warden pulls in the parking lot and comes to us first. And, you know, his immediate thoughts, like he says, he's kind of looking and he can obviously, there's two of us and 12 ducks. And, you know, our immediate thoughts, obviously like point, like, yeah, those, like those two guys are with us, you know, like (laughs) they're with us. Um, And he's like, guys there's 12 birds like what are we doing and he's like oh man i was just taking pictures and he's like whose boat is this and i'm like oh i'm like uh mine <laughs> and yeah. he's like why are there 12 ducks in it and i was like man like he took those out to take a picture of these guys like right there like i'm like hey guys mm-hmm. like come here 
He's like, no, 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 hang on. And I'm like, oh, man. Well, anyway, he, like, walks over there. And I think he thought I, at first, I think he thought I was, like, trying to cover up. Like, we killed birds, and I was lying. And I was trying to get those guys to act like we were hunting together. Um, and he went over there and talked to them. And, man, he didn't give us a ticket, but he let us have it. He was like, dude, he's like, you know, he goes, what does that look like for my you know, when I pull up and I was like, I'm an 18 year old kid. And I'm like, I understand, you know, like, sorry, even though it was not my fault, it was my buddy, but it was my boat. So I should have said, Hey guys, like, don't pull your boat up yet. Like I should have known another situation, like one of those things you should know, but you just, you didn't think that anybody's going to pull up while he's got our you know, 12 ducks. And then in his mind, I'm sure he's like, well, if they do pull up, they're only, these guys are only 75 yards from us and they don't have any ducks in their boat. And they can say, Hey guys, we, we hunted together. It's not a problem. But man, this guy was like, from that point forward, I mean, when we were riding out or when we're in the woods, I mean, we get, we got checked in the woods quite a lot as well, but man, when we're riding out, like I got three birds by the driver, I got three birds in the front left by this guy I'm like, mm-hmm. if you go more than 10 feet from me, you better take your birds with you because I am not going through that again. Man, I was scared to death. But uh, yeah. I think he, truth be told, he probably wasn't close to giving us tic- a ticket, but I think he saw we were just a bunch of goofy kids. And he's like, man, these these kids need to learn because one day they're going to end up, I'm going to teach them a lesson right now. And I tell you what, the the lesson was received because even as a 34 year old guy with that's been doing, you know, quite a while with kids, even these days, man, when we're dude, even more like dive bomb trips, if there's four of us in a truck, I throw them dudes in the bed. I put, I'll put them where the people are sitting. I'll put four front left by the driver, four front right by the passenger, four left back and four right back. I mean, I just, Mm -hmm. I am not the dude that throws them in that pile. And again, going back, most guys I've asked if the group total adds up, they, they don't care, but I'm not going to speak for everybody. I'm not going to leave it up to somebody and know how they do things. I'm going to take it in my own hands to make sure that there is zero question about, whose birds are what and then you know if you got them clearly separated like that i think that's that's good and then with the whole zip tie thing if for some reason you have one dude carrying out a strap that's got 30 birds on it a you can give each guy their own strap if they need to identify you need to make sure they're obviously with you but b the zip ties that's just another great way i mean i've had times that we've gotten checked on the way out of the woods and there was one guy carrying a big strap and uh, he was like, hey, man, like everybody needs to be carrying their own birds. And then we're like, hey, well, what if we if each guy has his own strap and we're all here together? Is is that OK? Because if, if one guy's carrying a dog stand and a, something else and he he pretty much said he was like, yeah, that's OK. Just make sure everybody's got their own loop. Yep. If they are going to be on the same strap. So just good little practices to, um, you know, to to follow to make sure that you're, you're always just playing it safe now i want to talk about donating birds Uh, freelance hunting across the u.s and canada has become increasingly popular and as we know most guys are not going on two to three day trips but most are hunting for a 
a week or more. If we didn't have the ability to donate birds, many guys would be over their possession limit well before the conclusion of their trip. And most people that you're donating to, they won't take birds whole, but if they're fully clean, they'll take them. The problem with that becomes if you get stopped with clean birds and you're in the process of donating them, you're likely to be in big trouble. Is there anything that hunters can do here other than donating them with the wing attached? Yeah, so they can certainly do that. And then if, if they don't, I always just like to see the, the information that I need to be able to you know, track down and corroborate a story. So that name, license number, address, and signature, you know, if, especially if you got a pile of snows and you're just going to go take them and drop them off and donate them to somebody who's going to make them into jerky, something like that. Just that information is just that legal requirement that I need to be able to go back and say, okay, this is what they're telling me. Is this what actually is the case? Um, so at least in the state of Pennsylvania, I don't personally see that too much. Um, most of the guys and most of the, the waterfowl that guys are taking in our area, they'll, they'll keep. Um, the only thing I, I maybe see it would be in snows. Uh, like I said, when guys are putting, you know, much bigger piles. Um, uh, Coos population is, is doing okay, but it's not going to be something where guys are going to be just laying so many that they, they do so much, you know. Um, and then not that Pennsylvania is in a, a destination state in the Atlantic Flyway, but I would say it's not, not in, the, in the top half. You know, other owners might disagree with that, but um, we don't see as much of the, the tourism, you know, for hunters coming into sure. the state. Now, people do do that for, for snow goose hunting, I, I would say, and, and for other areas, we have some other specific areas, um, pine matooning up near Erie, as well as Middle Creek, where guys can, can draw blinds and, and hunt from out of state and, and have a phenomenal time. Um, so it's as long as they do those things, like I said, you know, if they're going to donate, if they're going to send stuff, um, just that name, license, number, address. Um, of the hunter who harvests it um, so we can kind of do our work if there's an issue if, if I'm driving down the road and I see they have you know like you said all 30 breasted out birds and you know there's a lot of questions to be had just making it easier on us so we can verify what's going on it'll make the interaction so much better yeah you know I just think guys if if, if you want to play the safest card just just tag your birds keep some tags some zip ties and a pen in your blind bag you're not going to have any problems. Yeah, yep. absolutely. It's easy to do. Just keep the birds tag, tag them, and uh, keep a pen handy. Pen that works. It's not that hard. It doesn't take much time, and it just makes everybody's life a whole lot easier. Let's talk about mm-hmm. the possession limit and something we just talked about. Some a, bu- a guy turning a bunch of them into jerky. Mike, if we pound Canada geese for a week and we split them as a group to turn them into jerky or sausage sticks. We know good and well, we have more than three times the daily bag limit technically in our possession. Is the possession limit voided once these birds are totally processed? And if so, what's the meaning of totally processed? Because jerky sticks could be totally processed for one guy while totally processed for another or the breast soaking in his refrigerator i mean in maryland with a one bird limit if a guy's having a cookout with a few friends over is he breaking the law with eight breasts soaking in the fridge 
Yeah, and in my opinion, now I'm not going to say that's for, for everybody in every area, state, you know, I'm going to say no way. You know, I'm never going to jam somebody up. Um, you know, it's in this, the state of Pennsylvania, it's for ducks, you know, 18 in possession. But rarely am I going to see that, one. And two, rarely is it going to be where they're, you know, just breasts and they're all in little baggies. It's, at least for me in my area, not very common to see that. Um, but uh, as you said, I, in my opinion, it's going to be when it's broken down like that, it's going to be when, you know, if it's just breasted out and it's sent out to somebody already vacuum sealed, you know, date labeled, for me, you're going to be good to go every time. Um, it's, it's, if you have the information, if you have it, um, you know, whose bird it was, things like that. It's labeling is great. Like I said, you know, if you are labeling everything with date time, you know, even Hunter, if like for trips, like you talk about. Now we don't see a lot of that in our state um, for guys who are out hunting three, four days in a row. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to come back to their house and see, you know, massive coolers of, of ducks. I, I personally have never seen that and I don't anticipate ever seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, if you break it down beyond that point, um, I, I don't see how you're ever going to have an issue with the possession limit. Um, and then, like I said, at least in, in our area, it's just not something that's very common at all. Yeah. I mean, I think some of these laws, they're probably antiquated. They don't have a clear universal definition, which ultimately makes things confusing to hunters. And I know some of these areas are, uh, very slippery slope for uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Law-abiding hunters just want clarity. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing is they just want clarity and just want to know black and white what can I do and what can I not do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Coming down to maybe what kind of day is somebody having, you know. But I think it goes back to if you treat guys with respect and you're professional – you're not going to have a problem like you're not if you're if you're not breaking the law if you're not blatantly breaking the law and you are cooperative and the guy ask you questions and you answer them directly if it somewhere is a little bit gray you're not going to have any problems if you were going to have any problems we would have seen it by now because we get checked all over the country I, i don't even know how many states that i've been checked in and it all goes the same way every single time it's good. You are professional. You're up front. You look them in the eyes. You give them your license. You show it to them. You show them your legal. You show them your birds. They check your gun. They check your shells. Check your plug. And you move on. They're not out to get you. Now, if somebody called you in, if you're out doing stuff illegal, yeah, you're probably you're probably going to be in trouble because you probably deserve to be in trouble. But be professional. Respect the job. Uh, all of us, we've got jobs to do and we want people to respect us and what we're trying to do and all these dudes are asking is the same thing like he said they're not coming out to run your hunt or mess your hunt up they're coming out to check and make sure you're legal and they're out there doing a job to protect a resource that we hope that our kids can enjoy and our kids kids and our kids 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 and all the way down the line uh, this is not something that stops with us anyway mike what are what are the most common waterfowl related violations that you see? Yeah, absolutely. So in, in our state and, and especially in my area of the country, um, a lot of issues, and like I kind of hinted at earlier, uh, but I see are just with simple license requirements. 
And that's stuff that I, I think there should be no excuse for. I mean, pretty much it's it's straightforward in the state of Pennsylvania what you need to go out and hunt waterfowl and migratory game birds. It's just that basic hunting license. In our state, you need a um, migratory game bird license, which is a $3 license that, in addition to just waterfowl, that gives you the ability to hunt um, doves, woodcock, brant, coots, other stuff. Um, and then you just need that federal buck stamp. Um, and it's not difficult to get those three things. And those are the three things I'm looking for right away. And there are so many guys that they won't have that duck stamp or they won't have that in our state, that migratory game bird license. Um, now everybody's got their basic hunting license. Um, but then other things that we'll see is like they won't have it on them or they'll just have, uh, you know, say, oh, well, I bought my, my duck stamp, but, but it's at home, you know, and they didn't buy it online. So when I go in to check my system um, for duck stamps, you can just go down to the post office and buy that. So how, how can I verify that you purchased that? But it's something that's so easy to do, and, and I find that there's really no excuse for it because you know what it is. You flip to page whatever it is in our digest, hunting digest in our state. The waterfowl license requirements are right at the top, and it lists it out plain and simple. Um, so we see a lot of issues like that. A lot of guys won't go um, and sign their duck stamps. That's something that I always recommend to guys whenever they purchase. Just go ahead and sign everything. Um, technically it is a violation I, I'm almost likely never going to cite for that um, but a lot of guys just forget signing their licenses uh, and that's a legal requirement in our state um, some other things you had already brought up is um, that plug shotgun that's something that's super easy and simple uh, that you should have pretty much for any hunting in the in the state of Pennsylvania uh, We there isn't anything you can do to legally hunt without uh, a plugged gun um, so if you plug your shotgun and you're going out to hunt, you're going to always be safe and good to go. But it does happen where guys will have an unplugged shotgun. Um, mostly those are the things that I see when, when checking duck hunters, when checking uh, goose hunters. Um, rarely do I come across, um, you know, other than non-toxic shot. Now it's something that I'm sure guys do and that I've actually um, breasted out and broken down birds when hunting personally and have found lead shot in, for instance, you know, snow geese or pandas or other things like that. So I know it happens, but um, at least in our area, uh, I think guys do a pretty good job following those issues. But for the most part, what we see are some of those other license requirements and, and firearms issues. Um, but like I said, they're pretty easy. They're really things that you can follow and that you know ahead of time. So just check your uh, check your licenses. Make sure you have everything on you. That's a, a big point of contention, as I said. So, my buddy, he's a he's been waterfowl hunting as long as I have, and we were hunting a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago in Missouri, and it was opening day, and he was wanting to clean out. He had this box of basically just miscellaneous shells, which he thought were all steel <laughs> he uh bored them all in his his uh little vest that he was using there well anyway we get checked and uh down at the bottom of uh his little pouch there the guy's just checking his shells well he's pulling them out not thinking anything they're all different colors he's got red ones and green ones mm -hmm. and uh dude pulls out this one and he's like he kind of looks at it and the wildlife officer kind of looks at it and he's kind of like, uh Oh, and it was a, uh, it was like a three and a half inch, like number seven 
turkey turkey load that he had in the bottom. We ended up getting a ticket for it, which he deserved it um, because he knew better. Just like the stuff, you know, me coming back late, like at the end of the day, I, whether it was light or not, I was still five minutes past. So, you know, got a ticket and he, he deserved it just for uh, just – no attention to detail when he when he poured that box in there so i've seen that a couple times with my buddies you know they might go uh shoot some clays and that uh the old high breast slips in there to their miscellaneous shell boxes that they uh try, they're trying to get shot up before the end of season or whatever so guys got to make sure a little just a little extra attention to detail can can save you uh possibly a little a little money out of your wallet if you're not careful. So Absolutely. make sure you guys pay attention to that stuff. Sign in your duck stamps. Like Mike said, like maybe you won't get cited for it. Maybe somebody will hand you a pin, but if not, it's still it sucks, but it's still the law. Sign your duck stamp. Same way here in Arkansas. I've seen guys get tickets uh, mm-hmm. before, before we have a free WMA permit um that you have to have at certain places. I've seen guys get Tickets for that. They're upset. What's well, free? Why get a ticket for it? It's like, well, the state uses that information to set the regulations for those areas based on hunter pressure. So it's not necessarily just because it's free. Uh, it's the fact that you need that for them to get the appropriate information. And it's the law. It says in the rule book that uh, you have to have that permit. So if you don't have the permit, you get a ticket. Uh, same Cash River, White River, National Wildlife Refuge, free permits. Got to have them. Got to know the law. That's our responsibility as hunters and outdoorsmen for your area and the species that you're chasing. Uh, there are there are area specific regulations that change, guys. Uh, Mike's got to he's going to area. He's got to check the book and look at it. There's no reason that if we're going to a new area that we're not totally sure about, you might want to check the book and look at it because uh you want to make sure you're you're staying legal if you if you have no intention to do anything illegal then look at the book know the regulations and uh double check it two or three times and make sure that uh make sure you're not out of line because things change really quick at least i know here in arkansas they change a lot based on different lakes and different wmas or wherever you're hunting so mm-hmm. make sure everybody's staying up to date with that and make sure you check it every year because sometimes this stuff changes um you know from one year to the next based on the information that the state receives mike do you have any crazy stories or want to tell us about anything wild that you've seen before we before we let you go i know over there in pennsylvania you guys have those um don't you have the greater snow geese? They got quite a lot of yellow, yellow collars on them. You guys have any anybody shooting those yellow collars with twenty twos or anything like that? Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned that. We actually just did have somebody in our area. Uh, they were uh, doing that for uh, for blues. There was they were a doing it for what? For, uh, for uh, blue snow geese. Oh, okay. I got um, th- there's a specific area uh, up in our area that we see quite a few of them. And um, I don't see quite as many ones with collars. Or we get them occasionally in our area because they, they migrate up from, um, from like, the Baltimore, you know, the, the Bay, Chesapeake oh. Bay area. Um, but, yeah, we, we had somebody um, kind of 
road hunting, quote unquote, and um, get out and, and shoot one or two uh, blue geese with the twenty-two. Uh, and that's just something that you know we don't we don't have any time for. You know, that's something that you can you can take the time, get permission if you know the geese are coming into that field, go ask the night before, or, you know, I even recommend the guys, you know, take the time. Now is a perfect time to get permission for, for hunting geese next year, because, you know, everything's clear. Farmers are wrapping stuff up. They're moving into their next stage. Um, but yeah, we, we unfortunately had somebody do something like that in our area. Um, I've seen some other dumb, dumb accidents when it comes to hunting, uh, not as much waterfowl, but turkey hunting specifically coming up. We had a pretty rough accident in our area last year um, where somebody got got shot, um, mistaking somebody else for a turkey. You know, so just some simple things that you can do while you're out in the field to be safe can avoid some of these things. So, yeah, you, you certainly see a lot in our role, um, a lot of crazy stories. They do they tend to, to, to mold together after so long. Um, <laughs> it becomes almost common for us. Um, I'm sure the general public would probably be surprised at what we see on a daily basis, but um, other times there's uh, certainly, you know, like I said, the norm is, is not, not what they would anticipate, I would guess. You deal with them much night hunting, people shooting deer at night, spotlighting, all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. It's I'm not going to say it's rampant, but it's something that we concentrate heavy on, especially um, when you're coming into the summer and coming ahead of deer season. Um, even when it comes to spotlighting, the rules in our state are, are pretty straightforward. Um, there's a cutoff time. There's uh, rules about you know having guns or other firearms in your vehicle when you do it. Um, and there's unfortunate people that just never seem to understand <laughs> or, or get, a, get an idea that you can't do those types of things. It does happen a lot, um, especially in, in certain areas, because we have, um, in my opinion, some great trophy bucks running around our state now. Um, we enacted um, antler point restrictions um, in the, the late mid to late 2000s, I think it was 2008. I'm, I don't remember the exact year offhand. So um, the, the class bucks that we're seeing in Pennsylvania are um, – in my opinion, as good as they've ever been. And so, yep, we have guys who, unfortunately, they go and uh, they look for them at night, and we have those gentlemen that to thank for still having a job, that's for sure. Um, so I've seen some interesting encounters at night, and those are the ones that are, are certainly dangerous, and um, we appreciate the support of other local law enforcement because our role as game wardens, we're usually working alone. Um, so it's it's good to have support of other, other law enforcement and, and other hunters too. I've had assistance from so many hunters in the field, whether it's waterfowl hunters or um, or deer hunters, who will help me do my job. And that's something that I appreciate about the state of Pennsylvania is there is such a good hunting legacy. Um, like I said, whether it comes to deer, waterfowl, any type of quarry, that um, they understand what we're doing. They may not always like what we're doing, <laughs> but they understand and they know and they value hunting sure. for their kids and their future. And that's what I think is great about our state for sure. Absolutely. And it's like, what's the, what's the accomplishment? And you, you shoot a big deer at night or a blue goose with a rifle. It's like, what? Like, what are you going to put that on your wall and just make up some yeah. big elaborate lie when somebody asked about like, what kind of person are you that, I don't know. That's just so dumb. Like if you're, if you're that desperate for validation for your trophies that you could put that thing up and 
tell people that you shot it legally and ethically, then I don't know. I, I don't even have words for that, honestly. Mike. Yeah. Oh, it's so dumb. I think Do you guys have any sort of a point system or anything like that? I know here in Arkansas they accumulate points. If you do them on WMAs, they double, and there's a deal. You know, go from thirty years to five years, X amount of years. You, you accumulate so many points, you lose your license for a year. You could lose it five years. You could lose it um, mm-hmm. permanently. Do you guys have any sort of point system like that, or? Sure. So now we don't have a point system per se at all. It's really depend on, on what the violation is. Um, there's a, a kind of a statute of limitations. So how many years it's happened in, um, whether it's been the same violation or uh, subsequent violations. Um, a lot of it is in regards to big games. So if they have multiple big game violations in a certain amount of time, um, and they can all look that up online, it, it specifically states, um, you know, a lot of these big game violations usually start at a one-year license revocation, so they can't hunt for that next year. Um, but then, obviously, if there's multiple violations going on within a certain amount of time, um, we have a, a chart that we can use, and we can communicate that to people if they they don't know, you know, obviously how many issues they've had over the past five years, and they want to really be careful. But I would say just you know just do the right thing from the get go, and you won't have to worry about that. But yeah, it is something that people do know. We don't really have like a point system, but it all depends on um, the type of violation. But we do have all that tracked kind of in our internal systems. That's one thing about what you guys do. A lot of times you're alone, and every person you encounter, well, I don't want to say every, but most of the people you encounter have a firearm. And you don't know, like, you don't know who you're dealing with. You don't know what kind of person you're dealing with. Like, that's got to be a little bit sketchy at times. I mean, most of the time you can probably catch the vibe from the individual probably even before they open their mouth or before you even get to the person. You can probably sense the vibe of what what's going on here, how this could go. But I mean, every single person, for the most part, that you encounter has a gun. I mean, what are Absolutely. you, I mean, are you just trying to read the temperature of the phone call that you get to determine how to approach a situation? Because one of the guys in Texas, one time I was asking him, I was like, man, how do you guys actually get people for spotlighting or road hunting or doing stuff at night? And he's like, well, I mean, unless you just get lucky, like a needle in a haystack, like most of the time that stuff's getting called in, like you're finding out about it and then you can yeah. uh, create a plan, formulate a plan and, and, and uh, you know, stake in an area out or staying undercover low key doing what mm-hmm. you need to do. So you're getting a tip and he said, you know, it doesn't always work out. Sometimes it's a one-time deal and you go sit on an area for a month and it never happens again, you know, but a lot of this stuff yeah. is, is a, you know, you're getting a call, a tip, from somewhere and obviously you're going to proceed with caution in every case but i'm sure there's some cases that probably get your heart beating a little faster than others huh oh absolutely and it's for me it's all about just once you're out there your your situational awareness just kind of understanding what's going on um, and then more importantly understand if you can who you're dealing with um that's really important too you know whether it's somebody who has a a warrant out for their arrest or if it's just um 
you know, a kid making uh, some dumb mistakes, you know, out spotlighting after hours, what have you. Um, but unfortunately, due to the fallibility of men, you know, everybody's capable of doing things that they don't always anticipate they're going to be doing. So we have to take the precautions to protect ourselves um, because, yeah, as you said, we're out there trying to protect the resource. And um, we always try to, you know, come into a situation with, with an open understanding of what could happen, but also not thinking the worst of each person or of each situation. That's something that I like to do personally, you know, come into a situation and understand what's going on using my experience, but also um, being situationally where um, I, I wear body on and out in the field every day. I'm never going to go out of the field without doing that. Um, that's something that molded our agency was um, in 2010 when, um, one of our conservation officers, David Grove, was was murdered wow. out in the line of duty, um, and that was just 2010. And we try to honor him every day um, because he was out there protecting the resource for a late spotlighter and uh, lost his life doing it. So that an incident like that molded our agency, um, but I, I know it happens all around the country. Um, so we we try to use the resources we have to get better each day. Um, to understand the situations we're coming into, um, just to be safe so we can come home at the end of the night. Um, that's what's most important. Absolutely. I got to ask the famous question that you hear all the time. Everybody says, hey, game wardens, they have more authority than police officers. Is that true? <laughs> In our state, it, we essentially, I would say, have the same amount of power as are our state police officers. Um, the only thing that I don't do or have jurisdiction is in our Title 75, which is the vehicle code. So, you know, blowing a stoplight, things like that. Essentially, everything else other than that, um, we are trained and do have full enforcement powers for our crimes code offenses. So even, you know, drugs, uh, domestic abuse, and things like that. Now, am I going to be citing and charging those issues uh, all the time? Very rarely, or if, if ever, depending on the area you're in in our state. But um, we do have uh, quite a broad spectrum of enforcement powers, and I think it's uh, needed and necessary, and um, it gives us all the tools to be able to come into a situation and um, assist the public. And I think that's why we go through the, the length of training that we do in, in our state, because we are given such a high level of responsibility. Mike, is there anything that you want to leave hunters, waterfowlers with any advice that you feel like could help them out moving forward into, you know, whether maybe spring turkey season or deer hunting this fall, waterfowl hunting this fall, just some general advice from wildlife officer that uh, you feel like could help guys out. Absolutely. I would say just take five minutes the night before, go through your checklist and make sure you're, you're legal and good to go. It takes such a little amount of time to avoid such an unnecessary citation the next day in the field. That's all you got to do. Um, it's something that I do personally when I'm going out to hunt. Um, the night before, I maybe obsess over it too much, two, three times. I'll go through and I'll check, all right, yep, got my license, got my steel shot, got my, you know, whatever it have you and making sure I have everything set up and good to go. And then when I wake up in the morning, you know, because a lot of times waterfowlers or turkey hunters, we're heading out in the field, and it is, you know, 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not always thinking right and sure. making sure we have everybody. Sure. That way, you don't have to think at all when you're heading into the field in the morning because you already got everything in your blind bag, yep. and you're good to go. Um, and then, like we've been talking about a lot during our conversation here, um, 
just treat every conservation officer or even every police officer just with respect and courtesy. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we put our lives on the line every day, um, literally in some cases. Um, and we just want that quick respect and courtesy that you would show any other friend or hunter that you encounter out in the field trying to get that same, you know, duck hole that you are. You know, if, if they get there before you, you know, congrats, hats off to them. You know, you're going to show them the respect and courtesy and not, you know, crowd up on them, for instance, just as a quick dumb example. But um, if you do that, your interaction and your field check will be so much easier and quicker and uh, we'll be out of your head and you'll be back to hunting, which is what, what I'm sure you want to be doing when you encounter us. <laughs> so man, that's pretty much it. Absolutely great piece of advice. Hey, I had one more thing pop up in my head when you were saying that. And you always hear everybody say probably more with uh, – you know, uh, law enforcement, uh, state, local, but you always say, you give me a ticket. I'm going five over. You got a quota to meet. Do you guys have quotas to meet? Absolutely not. No way. There are certain areas of the state that they will, the game wardens will issue, you know, I would say, I don't know for sure, but I would say single digit citations for the year. Now other areas are going to be crazy high. Mm Mm-hmm. It all depends on, you know, what your workload is, what your call log is, sure. what you're out there in the area of the state that you're tasked with. Um, we have such a varied landscape in the state of Pennsylvania that there are going to be certain areas that are just much more apt to issue a lot of citations. Sure. And that's just because, say, they have a state uh, shooting range in their area. Um, you're automatically going to be issuing a lot more citations because that ranges. You just happen to have those common issues of, People coming in and not knowing what to do. But no, we do not have any type of, uh, you know, quota, any type of number to hit. Um, it's all about how you're doing your job and whether you're effective doing it. Gotcha. Well, Mike, this has been a, this has been a good, a good talk. It's been very informative. I think guys will find it very helpful. But I think summed up, the bottom line is guys are just going to find a little, a little common sense and a little attention to detail with some respect and courtesy goes a real, real long way. I mean, you can avoid Mm -hmm. freaking 99% of this stuff. And if you do wind up in one of these gray areas, if you have, if you can apply those things, you're going to be okay. I'm just telling you, you guys are going to be okay. And there, there, that might be some isolated case. That's why I say 99. There could be some cases that you felt like you did all the things right. And you turned up on the wrong side, but I can't imagine it was significant. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like my deal. You know, I, I turned up on the wrong side of five minutes and it sucked and I paid $200 and uh, that was it. Didn't have any points. It's not on my record. Uh, I got a boating violation. I came in late. So respect the job that they're trying to do. Mike, I appreciate it, man. It was a great talk. Thank you so much uh, having you on. I might have to hit you up off air uh, about maybe some turkey hunting intel up there in Pennsylvania. So mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Certain areas of the state are doing real well with turkeys. So we'd we'll, we'll be happy to have you. All right. Well, I appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for joining me today, man. Absolutely. Thanks again. See you. Bye. All right. That was absolutely awesome. Very informative. Mike Workman, Pennsylvania wildlife officer. Hope that helped some of you guys out. But really what you should just take from that is common sense, attention to detail and courtesy is going to go a really, really long way for you uh, as long as you're not intentionally 
doing anything illegal. As always, check out the social media outlets. I believe this is going to be my last episode, and then Cade is going to take over for a few. So uh, who knows what Cade's going to come with, but uh, I'm sure it'll be entertaining. Hope you all are having a great start to your week. Thank you for spending a little bit of your time with us. Until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast.